Hi, I'm your host, Sophia Ruan Goucher, creator of the Detox Deep Dive Workbooks, author of the critically acclaimed best-selling book, A to Z of Detoxing, the ultimate guide to reducing our toxic exposures, and founder of the Detox Academy, an online library of detox resources available to help you eliminate toxic chemicals, heavy metals, and electromagnetic fields from your home, diet, self-care, and technologies. Welcome to the Practical Non-Toxic Living Podcast. Ever since I recorded this podcast, I've been thinking a lot about smoothies as meals, cold-pressed juices as an IV of nutrients, our dehydration epidemic, intermittent fasting, how much longer it takes our digestive system to process pizza versus a plant-based meal with the same calories, and the inspiring life of Alyssa Goodman, who is the guest of this podcast and who left the topics that I just mentioned at the top of my mind. Based in Los Angeles, Alyssa is a popular holistic nutritionist, lifestyle cleanse expert, and author of the best-selling book, Cancer Hacks, a holistic guide to overcoming your fears and healing cancer. At age 32, Alyssa was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. After her cancer diagnosis, she learned that she also had hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's, and celiac disease. Then, more than 11 years from her cancer diagnosis, Alyssa lost her husband to non-Hodgkin's lymphoma when he was 45 years old. Alyssa became a single mom of two young girls. These experiences led Alyssa to quit her job at Vogue at the time and become a certified holistic nutritionist. But Alyssa quickly learned that optimal nutrition wasn't the only necessity to healing. Alyssa realized the importance of also addressing massive emotional roadblocks that contributed to her illnesses, such as chronic stress, past trauma, perfectionism, feelings of not being good enough, and poor sleep. Fast forward, Alyssa has helped thousands of clients manage their own health issues, and she makes eating healthy even easier in several ways, including through her book, Cancer Hacks, her successful cleanses, and her super seed bars. Alyssa's mission is to educate and encourage healthy, mindful living and help others embrace the concept that we are a product of what we eat and how we treat ourselves. Learn more about Alyssa's offerings in the podcast show notes. A collaborator with leading health and wellness partners, Alyssa is also often asked to contribute to outlets such as Huffington Post, ABC7, NBC LA, E! News, Well and Good, Mind Body Green, and more. Today, Alyssa remains free of cancer, hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's, and celiac disease. She says she feels better than ever, and she looks amazing. At the age of 61, she is an inspiring reminder that it's often never too late to develop a life force that is so vibrant and resilient that it emanates from the inside out. Please remember as you listen to this conversation that nothing in this podcast should be interpreted as medical advice. I know you'll hear many wonderful tips. However, always consult with your trusted healthcare providers to explore what is best for you. Now on with the show. When I came into the world, I had a low white blood cell count. 
I was sick all the time. Just, I caught every cold, every flu, every, just chicken pox. And I had ear infections and sinus infections. I mean, tonsillitis and strep throat and, oh, I had eczema galore. I remember on my feet and the back of my elbows and the back of my knees. And then I have digestive issues. I probably were from the stress from being in a family that was very type A, perfectionist, very driven, super smart and very successful. So my dad was always on the road, but just really was making a lot of cool things happen. He was in the marketing advertising business. He was building outdoor billboard company and he owned television stations and radio stations, newspapers. I mean, this was in the early seventies, you know, so that was pretty and and late sixties. So way ahead of his time these days. And my mom was definitely very social and raising money for things. And so they were always like, wow, Alyssa, can't you keep up? And you're always sick. And they labeled me the sick kid in the house. So that was quite traumatic. I didn't realize it at the time. So physically, I wasn't great. And then I was constantly trying to figure out ways to get my energy up. And when I was tired and sick and didn't get a good night's sleep, so I wasn't eating so well, it was a lot of caffeine and sugar and caffeine, probably meaning soda and those kind of things just to make myself feel better all the way through into college. And then when I, after college, I moved to New York. So it was, it was definitely not an easy existence being in this house and my parents were always going out every night and being very social. And then we were traveling a lot. And I just remember being like, oh, always like I couldn't ever get an exhale in or relax to the degree that I wanted to because we were always on the go. And they kind of, they were like, you're young. You should be able to keep up with us. <laughs> and it was so crazy. So then basically I moved to New York and that's all I knew was that lifestyle. And I entered into the marketing advertising business and I did the same thing, just working round the clock, climbing the corporate ladder, trying to just make as much money as possible and really get successful in what I was doing to prove to them and myself that I could do it. But New York wasn't easy. I absolutely love New York in every way, but it wasn't easy for me health-wise because of the weather, of course, and not being used to it coming from Arizona. But you know, the late nights and again, too many bagels and caffeine and entertaining. I was actually in the television business representing television stations across the country. So these guys that ran, the managers of the stations would come in and they expect us to like entertain them all night, like literally all night. And so it was, it was not the healthiest lifestyle. And I met my husband and I said to him, just don't see New York totally in my future and commuting in on a train into the city and working and let's investigate going back West where there's sunshine and just like maybe an easier life. And we ended up getting married and we, I did move him to LA and he was originally from Queens. And so he had never seen the Pacific ocean and never been to LA. And he was just like, Oh my God, it was a rude awakening at first. He, he was a slightly miserable because he was a New Yorker through and through, even though the weather was beautiful and there was the Lakers and golf and all that stuff for him. But it was a rough transition. I ended up, we ended up moving and I got a job with, with Vogue magazine. I was in the selling ad space at the time. And I thought I had just landed the greatest job ever. And once again, I had taken on way more than I had expected. What they required of me 
was more than I could handle in terms of just where I was emotionally, spiritually, physically. And like six months into the job, I got diagnosed with cancer at 32. And interestingly, I was getting a massage. I was just sitting upright where she was massaging my neck and my shoulder blades. In my collarbone, there was a swollen lymph node, a pretty sizable swollen lymph node. So she said, you really should get that checked out. Went to the doctor. Then, then we ended up doing a biopsy and taking, removing the lymph node. And it was an early stage of cancer. But all along the way, the doctors, the way they treated me, Sophia, were just really scary. I mean, it was all like, oh my God, cancer. Oh my God, this is going to be a long haul for you. And basically saying, you're going to have to do chemo radiation. And do you have a donor to do a transplant? Potentially, we need to freeze your eggs because you haven't had kids yet. The and way the medical. What year was this? 92. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They still do that today. That's what's kind of sad, Sophia. It takes a special doctor that has been trained in other modalities to really ask the right questions and really see where you're at with your health. There was one guy that I ended up going to see through a recommendation and it was a third doctor that I was seeing and I really did want to see him. I was like, I had been done with doctors, but I did go see him and he was a radiologist oncologist and he sat me down and he said to me, are you happy? Are you doing what you love? Tell me about your life and what's your stress level like? My stress level was way over a 10 because, you know, when you're not ever feeling good enough and your self-worth and self-esteem is low, you're always overcompensating for everything. Now that I look back and can just imagine how much cortisol and adrenaline I was pumping out on a daily basis, as well as just totally draining my adrenals and everything. But he was the one who really woke me up. He's like, hey, this is an early stage. A lot of cancer has to do with emotional well-being. There's the chi in the body. And he was talking about all of that, like the energy that you're drained. You're thoroughly, thoroughly drained with the life that you've been leading and not having any passion and love in your life. I didn't know how to have that at the time. So that was the story. I mean, I ended up having two kids after that, luckily, and then I got Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism and celiac. And then 11 years later, my husband was diagnosed with cancer and he ended up passing away a year and a half after his diagnosis at 45 years old. So interestingly, my cancer was definitely scary. And I did go on a road of really discovery. I went back, I went and got help emotionally. I went into yoga. I started juicing. I became a vegan. I really try. I mean, I did everything there was to do like a naturopath, acupuncture, colonics. I mean, there was everything here in LA at the time. And so I was just exploring. I'm one of those that I can't stop till I find the answer. And just also, I can't stop until I try everything, but I still wasn't totally healthy after that. I hadn't found the sweet spot. And then after he passed away was really a rude away. That was probably the scariest time. And your daughter having, was at that time, right? Yeah. 10 and seven. Wow. So that's when I was like, oh my God, I am a single mom. I haven't been working for the last few years or a long time, actually, it probably was seven years since Sammy was born. And 
I had no idea what I was going to do with myself, as well as I had two girls who had two parents who had cancer. And I was exhausted again from his fighting, trying to fight his cancer. So it was, that was probably the turning point for everything in my life. I was like, I really have to get my shit together. And that's when I went back to school and got certified in Eastern and Western nutrition. I was always interested in it, but I hadn't, I really didn't have the skills and the knowledge that I needed to actually really get myself healthy. And the girls, I really went back just for them and myself. And I had no idea what I was going to do with my life, but I went back and did that. And then everything kind of unfolded for me. The floodgates opened. A friend of mine had brought Cafe Gratitude from San Francisco down to LA. And she said, my first, after I graduated my program, she said, will you come and create this food program for us, a cleanse program? And because I was in the marketing business and advertising, so it was easy to do. Their food was healthy and it was really fun. So I created this cleanse program for them. And then a year later, I created a cleanse program for M Cafe. It's a macrobiotic restaurant here in LA. So at the time I was operating these two food programs for people in LA and It was a beautiful entree into learning all about health and wellness. And every time I'd handhold these cleansers and they'd tell me their story and they'd also tell me their ailments and their health issues. And I would just thoroughly investigate what was going on for them. I absolutely loved it. And I was just like, wow, to be able to maybe give someone a tip that could change their life and or change the direction of their health was like sort of intoxicating. Does cancer run in your family? Was there ever a genetic predisposition? I'm wondering what your thoughts are in hindsight as to why you developed cancer at age 32. It doesn't run in the family. Both sets of parents basically had no knowledge of any cancer. So, you know, in those days, the grandparents, we probably wouldn't have known so much so, but what I know today I was so stressed out. I lived on stress mode and emotional trauma and PTSD. Life growing up was not easy. You probably would have looked at me from the outside and thought I had it all made, but there was a lot of just unsureness of myself and just being sick all the time and just trying to overcompensate for everything. I was stressed all the time and I was not feeling good at all emotionally. There's one of my favorite books out there called Radical Remission. Oh, I know that book. Right? Such a big impression on me. I know. Sophia Kelly Turner is amazing. Like doing her PhD and investigating the modalities that caused these people to heal or to get cancer. She came up with 10 modalities and of how they healed holistically, no Western meds. And seven of them were emotional and releasing stress and trauma and PTSD and anxiety and all these things. And the eighth one was food, the ninth one was supplements and the 10th was exercise. And then there was another book, Mind Over Matter by Lissa Rankin. She's an MD that I read years ago that also changed my life. The first seven years of your life, your subconscious is fully downloaded. And you and I operate 90 to 95% out of our subconscious. 
that always blows my mind that we are basically 5% conscious. So those messages that we're continually replaying in our psyche are sending these downplaying, they downplays the immune system because it's like they're, they were many, my, my messages were negative. You know, it was all the not good enough, not measuring up, I'm not doing enough. And even when I did get to a place where I felt like I did enough, I don't think I ever gave myself the kudos or a, a pat on the back, because that's not how we operated. What's so interesting is it sounds like your parents thrived with the lifestyle they had when you were growing up, being really busy and productive, but that pace and approach to life just didn't suit you. So that yes. was a lot of stress. Yes, they thrive. You're right. They just thrived. And with no sleep, five hours sleep, they would pride themselves. Remember those days where it's like, yeah. I don't need to sleep. Yeah. My mother did have asthma really bad. So, but twice a year, she would go to a health ranch called Rancho La Puerta. It's still around today. Rancho La Puerta used to own, own Golden Door as well. She'd go twice a year with this group of women. And when I was a teenager in my late, like 15 to 19, she would take me and it was a health ranch and they would eat off the land. I think it was definitely plant-based. We'd hike, sleep, no TV, no phone. You're totally off the grid. And basically I watched these women change in seven days. Complete. My mom didn't need her asthma medication as much. Women that were depressed and couldn't sleep were sleeping and happy. And it was like they did yoga, meditation. They were way ahead of their time. So I did get to see that. So, I mean, but my mom definitely took knew how to take care of herself. And they were very much into health and wellness, weirdly. They were very friendly with Dr. Andrew Weil. And so whenever anything went, when they did not feel good or anything went wrong, they would connect with him. And he was one of the first functional doctors that got all of this movement started that I love getting to the root of people's health issues. So, and also he wrote a book about emotional well-being and happiness and all of that and how important it is in your life. But yeah, it did suit them. They didn't grow up with low immune systems. And I don't think they really grew up with like a low self-esteem. They had a really good, strong self-esteem too. Well, that's so interesting to me for a lot of reasons, even just with social media. I mean, this existed before social media, but often yes. people can't help but compare their lives and what they're doing to what other people are doing. Your story just emphasizes that we're all so unique and what we need is unique. And also what you said earlier about from the outside, it would appear as if you had it all, but you were totally stressed out. Like I just think as a parent to three daughters, it's great to be mindful that there's no one approach that would allow each of them to thrive. Absolutely. I know with two girls now today who are 22 and 26, right, they're both so different and what they need emotionally, spiritually, physically. Yes. I know for myself, that's probably been one of the best gifts I could ever give them in my entire life is to now be able to tap into that and to go to that place with them and to make them feel like it's okay to be wherever they're at and to have them be able to 
exhale and and know that maybe they're not in a great place right now, but they'll get there. And I feel like that with my clients as well. I can go to those dark places with my clients because I've, I've lived the dark. I've lived all of the places that they have with all the illnesses and also all of the emotional parts of my life that weren't doing so well. I've been curious about your perspective on health, resiliency, well-being, healing, thriving. And since you brought up the book Radical Remission, because you're a nutritionist, but you are so holistic, I'm wondering what your perspective is on the weight of each pillar in our well-being. So for example, some people might think, oh, I just need to exercise a lot more. And they focus a lot on exercise and maybe less on the quality of their diet, or a lot of people overlook the value of sleeping more. But you've been talking a lot more about the emotional healing and also the sense of purpose and being really true to yourself. I love your reflections on that. I feel like in order to really thrive in our life and also very much I'm talking lately about anti-aging and turning back the clock, emotionally, we really have to be in a self-love place, a forgiving place where our body can get into a more parasympathetic nervous system place where the body can really exhale and relax and be able to regenerate and heal. And that is, I think that is crucial. The med- That's why meditation has become so big and yoga. Those are such powerful and breath work, right? Those are such powerful ways for our body to decompress because we are so on the go and we are always stressed. Even with a good, happy, excited thing that we're doing, we're still stressing our body out, which is so sad. We're still pumping out too much adrenaline and cortisol, but that stress I think is one of the major, major pillars. And I also combine it with the emotional well-being with the stress and the emotional being are super important these days for us to get to a better place in our life with everything that we do. Sleep is probably number two because that is when the body does repair and regenerate and cleanse and detox through the night. So sleep is massively important. And then food is then that third pillar, I would say, just nourishing and nurturing with whole real food and then exercise, moving your body and all of that. I think there are four pillars. And I know what you're saying. A lot of clients, they'll be like really great with the exercise and the food, but the sleep and the de-stress or the emotional part, they'll not be so good. And they won't get to where they need to be. And they're constantly be struggling to get there. And I think that we have to like really concentrate on all four of those. And we're not going to be perfect in all four, of course, right? But we really do need to focus on all of them to really get to a place where we want to thrive and be just really be energetic. And like I said, anti-age and really figure out how to turn back the clock and add years to our life instead of taking away years, which I think you absolutely could do because I feel like I've done it for myself. You look amazing. I've seen you online and there's one time you shared your age and I was blown away. I think I heard you say in an interview, I don't believe in aging. (laughs) 
which is really exciting here. What, what do you mean by that? I feel like right now in my life, being 60, I basically feel better than I did 10 years ago, feel better than I did 20 years ago. You can imagine I feel better than I did even in my 20s because of how I was explaining my life because I don't, I don't push myself to the place of what I did in those years. And I also just accept myself so I can really exhale and, and I do sleep really well. Of course, I eat super well most of the time. Not always. I'm definitely not a perfect eater by a long shot, nor do I want to be. And then also spiritually, I just really try to work on myself as well. And this last year with the COVID has given me that opportunity even to elevate that part even more. But right now I know the people that really light me up and who I want to spend time with. And then when I do spend time with them, I feel so amazing as well as I know how to take the time for myself to decompress and relax and not push myself too hard. And then I know how to fuel my body in terms of what it needs to the food and staying hydrated and so that I can do all the things that I want to do, trying to write the next book. Just, I put out a cleanse to about 60, 65 people, three weeks out of the month. That is all homemade food. And we ship out bars across the country every other week, bars that became popular on the cleanse. I mean, and there's just so much I want to do with my life and continue on doing that. I know I need the energy and it feels good to be able to like do it at this time in my life to have the knowledge that I have and to, to really know how far I can push myself and also really being able to heal the thyroid and the Hashi that's been years of various doctors and various protocols. And I think once I got a hold of the emotional part, that's when I really was able to put my thyroid, my Hashimoto's into remission. And I was able to get my thyroid working again. And also just the celiac, those autoimmune things do raise their ugly head when you go into trauma and stress modes and you stress your body out. So I always have to be careful. There are a number of health issues from the cancer to the Hashimoto's to celiac and, and maybe others, but was the recovery kind of long or was it surprisingly fast? No, it was long. Just trying to figure out Along the way, I was I was learning more about, about things that were going on in my body that weren't working. So nutrients that were deprived, heavy Epstein-Barr virus loads in the system, just the IBS, celiac, digestive issues. Then I ended up having giardia. Like there was a lot of stuff along the way that I was uncovering from different doctors that I was going to trying to figure out how to put all this stuff intermission. And plus I got radiated for my cancer and they radiated my thyroid. So the thyroid was a difficult one to like actually get back working because of the radiation. Yeah, of course. I haven't thought too much about the viruses in us. We always have a load of viruses, Yes, but when does it become an issue? And maybe what do you wish more people knew about viruses in us? It's interesting because I know growing up, a lot of us had mono and strep throat, tonsillitis, chickenpox. Those are all Epstein-Barr viruses, but there's many different types of Epstein-Barr viruses. And I just really learned about the viral loads and 
pathogen, heavy metals about four years ago, that we all have those in our organs and our tissues, they lay dormant. So when you, you know, as a teenager had mono, that Epstein-Barr virus, they gave you like an antibiotic, which doesn't really get rid of the virus, but it just lays dormant in the body or in the, in the organs. And so basically when you're stressed and not sleeping and not eating well, or maybe have a traumatic event, And my traumatic event, interestingly, was having a baby. A lot of times when women give birth, even though it's a happy traumatic event, it really does push your body past the point, you know, to some degree at at that moment of no return. So that's when the Hashimoto... Because the immune system is weakened and can't keep the viruses dormant? Right, exactly. So it, it really is. It's the immune system being compromised, Right. And stress really does a fact number on that and trauma. And of course the food, if it's, if you're eating crappy and sugar and alcohol and too much caffeine and all of that. So yeah, when you're, or when you're starving yourself and not eating enough and really stressing the body out. So that's that pregnancy triggered. I know a lot of women get Hashimoto's after pregnancy. So the thyroid is already been working too hard. The adrenals are burned out. So, and then it does take immune compromised your system. And then, yeah, then you get an autoimmune disease. I think a lot of this, a lot of the autoimmune stuff is very related to everything we're talking about, Sophia, just the stress and the emotional component of ourselves. And that is, I think that is the cornerstone of why. And then just immune-wise, we're not really taking care of ourselves to the degree that we need to in terms of just knowing even simple supplements, even to talk about just making sure you're supplementing and your vitamin D levels are high enough. I mean, most general practitioners would say, oh, your vitamin D at 50 ml is just plenty or around 50. But nowadays, functional naturopaths are saying we should be at 75, 80 for our our vitamin D to really have a strong immune system. So my eight-year-old is deficient in vitamin D and I've just been unsure about which supplements to give her because as you know, they're unregulated and right. Do you have a recommendation for children? Yes, there is a woman. She's actually, I think from New York, she moved to Los Angeles. Her name is Mary Ruth. And oh, I know her. Yeah, she has some, I think she's done really well okay. at her supplement line. And I think she she has some great supplements for kids. Okay. Zinc, vitamin D, B12, probiotics. Great. I think her stuff is exceptional. Great, great. Yeah. I will get them. Also, I'm a big fan of getting people blood tested for nutrient deficiencies. So I don't just throw supplements at them, but I look into what they are really deficient in. Mm. And that's with functional doctors. A lot of times they do like a really good thorough blood panel, and then they'll do a nutrient deficiency test to see really what's going on for people as well. So Mm. that can be life-changing. Great to know. I'm curious, do you spend time in infrared saunas? I love them. (laughs) Do you? Yes, I love them too. I I mean, it's shocking how 
I seem to not have enough time to be in them as, as often as I would like. I have one in my home. I love how it feels. It feels really gentle and beneficial, but there yeah. are also claims that they can, that infrared wavelengths can kill some viruses that are more towards the surface of your skin. Do you have thoughts on that? Yes, I do believe that. I do. I do believe that there's, they're really helpful in that way, as well as I think we're constantly having to detox and cleanse on a daily basis. And that infrared also, if you, if you do, do go into a sweat mode, that is super crucial because toxins do get pushed to the surface and need to be eliminated through your skin. So I absolutely love it for the, both of those modalities. During COVID, there was a wait list for, I think it was, is it Sunlighten, the infrared saunas? And then I actually have one of those, the domes from them. Mm -hmm. And now everyone's loving the the infrared blankets that you slip into, but they're fantastic. I love that kind of thing. I love dry brushing too, because of my cancer was a lymphatic cancer. Mm -hmm. So ever since I was diagnosed, I'm a I'm a big dry brusher in terms of getting the lymphatic system moving. So that before you turn the shower on? Yeah, I do. I dry brush, not every day, but I do try to do it three to four times a week. I've been trying to do that as well. Um, It feels good. Your skin tingles and it just feels amazing as well. So yeah. What are your staple meals and snacks? So you're vegan, right? No, I actually am not. You know, I was vegan when I got cancer and for years I wasn't a healthy one. I didn't really know how to do it. And then I realized over the years that I craved animal protein. I grew up eating animal protein. I'm also an O blood type. So I've read all those books about the blood type diet and I really try to follow my intuition in regards to food. So I'm 80% plant-based, 20% I will eat super clean animal protein. To be honest, not always super clean because you know when you go out to dinner, you just yeah. don't always get that. But at home, I do always try to do wild salmon or fish. I absolutely love fish. And then every once in a while, by the rest of the family does eat animal protein, so I'll eat with them. I just try to have smaller portions of the animal protein and I load up on vegetables I definitely feel like we don't eat enough vegetables. And that's why I created this cleanse. I do pureed soups. I love them or chunky soups. I'm a big juice girl. So I've been juicing for years and green juices ever since I was diagnosed with cancer. Then I got into the celery juice craze because of the medical medium. Then I was talking to a lot of clients who were not doing so well on the straight celery juice. And then we started juicing cucumber juice, which is really great for the kidneys. Then now I just juice celery, cucumber, lemon, ginger. I find that really beneficial because you're getting so many cups of vegetables, servings of vegetables in your diet. And it's not a meal for me. It's just like a liquid IV of vitamins and minerals. So we're big juicers in that regard. And then also I'm a big like soup girls. I mean, I'm just trying to load up on as many vegetables as possible and different kinds of vegetables. Cause I think that's where the vitamins and minerals and polyphenols and antioxidants are not really in the animal protein, but I feel like substance wise, I need the animal protein in my diet and then amino acids I need. And I love bone broth. So I know it's become a craze, but I feel like bone broth is really healing. It helped me heal from celiac 
because I did, I did some bovine collagen powder and I still do it, but I did it religiously for a year. And I think that was really helpful. So I'm kind of like, I don't want to be restricted so much in my diet. I'm, I just have lost my taste for sugar, which was crazy because I was just sugar addict, but I still eat some gluten and some dairy, but I try not to, because I don't feel so great. I do like to eat. I love food. <laughs> Well, it sounds like you're very sort of organic with what you eat. You just listen to what feels good. I would imagine that can evolve. I mean, I would imagine our biochemistry changes with the seasons and with stress and with if you're traveling a lot and what you're eating and how you're sleeping and even just life stages, you know, if you're going through puberty or pregnancy or nursing or menopause. Don't yes. you think? I don't hear that yes. so much, but that's just my instinct. Absolutely. You're hundred percent right. Yeah. You need different things at different times in your life. You're right. So I think as we age and where I'm at in my life now, ugh, in my sixties, which ugh, I still have a hard time saying, but I think we need more protein. We need more amino acids, animal protein. You think that we need more fat as we get older? I'm on the fence about that because we have had a craze of more fat is really good for us, but I'm seeing a lot of people with fatty livers because the liver really takes a beating when we eat saturated fat, even plant-based healthy saturated fats, even animal protein is saturated fat. So then the liver has to process that fat as well as all of the chemicals that go through the body. The liver has to process alcohol. I think we have to be careful, you know, at overdoing any of these foods. I do still, I mean, I eat a little bit of fat every meal. I don't go without it, but I really try not to overdo it because I know how, what it takes for the liver to produce bile, to go into the digestive tract, to break down these saturated fats. It's a lot of energy for the body and it's a lot of work on the liver. So I think that as we age, I still think we need to have a little bit in our every meal, but I think we have gotten way overkill with the bulletproof coffee, with the butter and the MCT oil. Even though I love MCT oil, that's one oil and fat that I love because it, it the liver doesn't have to process it. It processes it really fast, but yeah, we're eating butter in our coffee. Then we're having eggs and for breakfast, or we're just, we're doing a smoothie with an avocado and nut butter and, and nuts. And I mean, we're just, we're con, kind of doing a little bit of overkill with it. So people who are plant-based tend to worry more about getting enough protein. Do you think mm -hmm. they don't really need to worry about that because they probably get enough? No, I think that sometimes they, I think they do. I think that it can be tricky, especially like we're talking about, especially as we age, because sometimes you don't get all of the crucial amino acids that you need to do the repair, like tissue, muscle, tendon repair for the body so that we don't age with plant-based eating. Sometimes it's, it can be a little tricky, but yeah, I do think that vegans do tend to have like an issue with trying to figure out getting enough protein because, mm -hmm. and nowadays also, Sophia, people are intermittent fasting. So they're only eating two meals, lunch and dinner. So they really have to be conscious of getting enough protein in those meals. And it can be a little tricky. How do you feel about in intermittent fasting? I love it. 
I'm not sure it's so good for me, but I love giving my digestive system a break. And I also love because I feel energized and mentally alert in the morning because that's when I, I, I wait 16 hours from dinner until the next meal. I feel creative. I love it. So I feel light. And then I eat lunch and dinner and I usually do have a snack in the middle. But I think it's great for weight. I think it can balance hormones. It lowers inflammation. I think that it also very much is helpful for giving your digestive system like this reprieve from working so hard. So how many hours does intermittent fasting like recommend? Is it 16 hours? There's all different forms of intermittent fasting. Will Cole just came out with a book all about intermittent fasting, the different protocols of it, because some people can do intermittent fasting, like from the hours of 12 noon to 6 PM, or, you know, others can be, can intermittent fast a few days a week, not every day. And then I personally, for some reason, just finished dinner at eight and then wait 16 hours. Even sometimes I wait 18 hours to eat again. And when I, and I just follow my intuition again and, and see if I'm hungry, but now I'm realizing that sometimes when you go too long, also we're, we were talking earlier about the stress and the adrenaline and the cortisol, when you do go too long without eating, it can produce too much stress and pump out too much cortisol. So I'm forcing myself now to eat at that 16 hour mark instead of going too long. I love hearing that because I probably easily go 14 to 16 hours without eating just because I'm so busy. I wasn't yes. trying to do that, but I notice I would feel really great. I feel a high, <laughs> I feel light, but then yep. I would give myself a hard time thinking this is so unhealthy. I shouldn't do it, but I kind of felt great. So it's good to yeah. know that I shouldn't give myself a hard time about it. No, I think in the old days, in the paleolithic days, right? I mean, they would have to hunt for their food. So look at the hours that they went without eating. And I think it's better for us. I mean, we're, we're constantly putting food in our body. We're constantly having to put energy towards the digestive tract to break down the food, right? It makes sense. It's a lot of energy that goes to that. So you're able, so we're able to like actually feel that energy, that lightness, because it's not having to work on digesting the food. Mm-hmm. And Sophia, it's so crazy because there was this study that Zach Bush did. I always talk about this. It just fascinated me because he took college kids and he he tested the transit time it took for food to get through their small intestine. And he gave them two pieces of pizza, which was animal protein, gluten, dairy, 800 calories. And then he gave them a plant-based meal, 800 calories. And they were shocked at how much food they had to eat on the plant-based meal Mm -hmm. as compared to the pizza. But 14 hours it took for the two pieces of pizza to get through their small intestine and 90 minutes for the plant-based meal. Wow. I mean, it was so crazy. Like it just goes to show. And then, so then you have food hanging out in your intestine for 14 hours. I mean, so then you eat again, like, let's say you eat within those 14 hours and you have more food piled on top of what you already have in there. And they've done autopsies on people who get into accidents and they see pounds of food in their intestines. Wow. So that always blew my mind because I deal with so many people with digestive issues and they're constipated or just like so many things have gone on wrong in their intestines. And 
my instincts tell me, well, there's probably a, just a lot of stuff happening in there that hasn't had the opportunity to clear out. That is fascinating. Yeah. How often do you think an average healthy person should cleanse? Once a month or a few times a year? I am a huge believer that cleansing should be a daily thing. And those are simple things. It's like drinking enough water. It's getting up in the morning and your body's been cleansing and detoxing all night. So 16 ounces of water is a mandatory, like no negotiation about that because you got to rehydrate the body. Most of us go right to coffee or right to breakfast or coffee's really dehydrating. Also animal proteins, dehydrating, gluten, dairy, sugar, all those things, processed foods, dehydrating. So we have a major dehydration epidemic going on. So when I even just get clients to drink two cups of water before their coffee, it's life-changing for them. It's crazy the amount of energy that they can get back and their digestive system just works better. I mean, as simple as that, that's cleansing, making sure throughout the day they're, they are drinking enough water and hydrating themselves or drinking a green juice without fruit in it, because I think that's too much sugar, but that's super detoxifying and cleansing for the body. Even a parade soup, that's a beautiful thing that can be very cleansing for the body, eating vegetables. That's huge. You know, all the cruciferous vegetable family is super powerful. Or even the bitter greens, the arugula, dandelion greens, and kale. I mean, they're amazing for helping the liver detoxify. So I think that, and sleep, sleep helps the body detoxify. And then also if you're doing an infrared sauna or the dry brushing, or you're doing yoga and breath work, you know, when you're, when you're doing breath work, you're helping the, the lungs detoxify. So I think it's kind of important to be just be aware of some simple things that, cause you just don't want to have, you don't want to wait. You don't want to just go through life and then feel crappy and tired and then go, Oh my God, I, I feel like I need a cleanse. Yeah. I think you want to feel good every day, right? Yeah. That should be the goal. <laughs> so would you comment on the lack of fiber in the green juices versus the fiber in a smoothie? Are they yeah. beneficial in different ways or do you have a preference for one over the other? I know that is that. Are you a, are you a smoothie girl or do you drink I green juices? There are periods during the year where I crave lots of juices and then there are other times where i want more more of a smoothie but i also have my father who's a retired OBGYN, always commenting when he sees all the juices i drink that i'm not uh -huh. fiber <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> so i have that in mind too and <laughs> i think i just kind of hedge my bets and do both right 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 yeah i know because that that question comes up a lot so the green juices for me are not a meal. I think a smoothie can become a, be a meal for somebody. So my green juice is my liquid IV of vitamins and minerals. I'm just trying to like, cause I live that cleansing lifestyle. So I'm just trying to hydrate the celery juice, why it became so popular and why people were having such incredible results is because celery has vitamins and minerals and minerals, concentration of middle salts. Those mineral salts are hydrating the intestines, the liver, the kidneys, the organs. So people had never been hydrated like that. Some of these people that were juicing this straight celery juice. So they were having incredible results 
because of that. So it is just, I just do it, like I said, because it's my IV of vitamins and minerals and, and it helps hydrate the body. I started doing it because I had gone through many months of feeling really, really low energy and I did get COVID last spring. Oh, and you did? Right when it started? Mid to late March, I lost smell. And my doctor at the time said, you're going to be fine. <laughs> I'm not going to have you use the test that other people need more urgently. But yeah. it did throw me off for months, especially my energy. And so in the fall, I started to think after many symptoms improved a lot, my sleep was better than ever, but I would still wake up feeling exhausted. Like I was too tired to get up. And then one time I saw a picture on Instagram of all this celery juice. And I remembered the medical medium's book on celery juice and someone else talking to me about how much it helped her. And I thought, I'm going to try it because I know how I feel when I have lots of green juices. And I just yeah. felt like I needed to try celery juice. And I went from feeling so depleted to feeling like a superhero. Wow. That yeah. is, that's a great story. I know. I know. It's really, like I said, I mean, this hydration issue can change your life. Really. We don't, I don't think we tap into it as much. So yeah, it was from that, it was from getting vitamins and minerals into your bloodstream and right into your cells. You know, I'm sure all of that was so beneficial and it helps motility. They say these days that, that when we go to the bathroom once a day, we're constipated, which most people are so excited if they go once a day, right? So that's not a great thing, but I know I, so I just, it so helps my skin. It's like a, a nutrient IV and yeah. the smoothies are more like meals. Meals for me. Yeah. Because with the smoothie, I definitely am a fiber girl. So I know what you're saying. I mean, we don't get enough fiber either. I kind of try to get my clients to aim for 40 grams of fiber and most people do 15 to 20. So fiber is really crucial, Sophia. So I just try to get my fiber through my food. And I'm always focused on that. I'm always trying to eat high fiber foods. And you're right. A smoothie can give you all of it, can give you the greens, can give you the nutrients, can give you the protein, can give you the fiber. And it's a beautiful thing. For some reason, I just never personally never just was attracted to the smoothies. I would drink a smoothie and then I'd be starving afterwards, even when it had healthy fat and the fiber and the protein. So that was just me. But I know that there's tons of clients and people who, who love smoothies. So I think they're both good. It just depends on, I think, what you're drawn to, or even I have clients doing both. I have a client getting up in the morning doing water. They do intermittent fasting. So they do water, they do their juice. They'll have a matcha or coffee. And then for lunch, depending, they'll have a smoothie. And then what about dinner? Well, it depends. Like if they're kind of doing a weight loss protocol, they will do probably a puree or a chunky soup for dinner. But a lot of times they'll do a, just a healthy sort of old fashioned, healthy, like either plant-based or animal protein with veggies, salad, complex carbs. It's almost like I guess I'm explaining a little bit like the clean program, right? Alejandro Unger's program, where I think it was maybe, was it two smoothies and a dinner, something like that, that was so popular for so long and still is today, but that is kind of what some of the clients will do. One thing you said that just really struck a chord with me is you've said this in other interviews. I didn't even know what feeling good felt like. 
And I could relate to that. It wasn't until I started eating a cleaner diet in my 20s that I could look back on my life and realize I never felt good. With that in mind, that was your experience. My next question is, what do you wish more people knew about? And I have 10 topics. And if you could just share your gut reaction to them. So what do you wish more people knew about food? I wish that they knew that real food, whole food that comes from the earth is the most nutrient dense and will help them stay healthy. What do you wish more people knew about exercise? I wish that they they knew that they didn't have to do hardcore exercise. They could walk, yoga, just hike, be out in nature and still get the benefit. They don't have to do spinning and hardcore Barry's boot camp to actually be healthy. What do you wish more people knew about sleep? Oh, I wish that they knew the body resets between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. So to get those four hours are crucial. To go to bed earlier is the biggest benefit you could give yourself and to strive for eight hours, not five, six, or even seven. What do you wish more people knew about mindfulness? Mindfulness is the cornerstone of really thriving in your life in terms of your spiritual well-being, your emotional you know, sense of yourself, and also making the right choices for your life. What do you wish more people knew about technology? No, (laughs) technology is a killer. It's a a love and a hate. Yeah. I mean, social media is just doing such a number on us. I think first I was going to say the young generation, but I think it does a number on myself as well, because I'm having to be on it and showcase potentially my life and what I'm doing and what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong. But I think that I wish that I could go back to some of those old days when Growing up, I didn't have any technology. I didn't have access to a phone, no television, and I was bored. And the boredom was what really does connect you to what you really want in your life. You really can tap into what makes you tick. I agree. Boredom is very important. Boredom without technology. Yes. What do you wish more people knew about Western medicine? I think Western medicine is crucial in life-saving scenarios, but I think that that Western medicine is doing such a disservice to our overall well-being. The amount of medications that they are prescribing and putting us on are actually killing us. And I think that we need to be moving towards more of a holistic approach because that is where people can really thrive and, and heal and stage four cancer can heal holistically. Not saying that telling people to do that, but I've seen these scenarios happen and where Western medicine has killed people with all of the drugs and made them weaker and just not have a very healthy long life. What do you wish more people knew about Eastern medicine? I wish they knew they would incorporate more Eastern medicine because Eastern medicine has been around for centuries and centuries. And there's so much good stuff in it. 
and the herbs and the plants, they are so incredibly powerful and healing. So I wish that people incorporated both Western and Eastern. I think that that is the ticket. Functional doctors, naturopaths do more of that. And I think they're having a lot of success with them um, being able to get people to a place that where they really want to go. What do you wish more people knew about our environment? Oh, our environment is also killing us. Well, we're killing you know, it. We're killing it. Yes, you're right. And we're killing is, it. Yeah, not serving um, as well. Yes, we're killing it. And the amount of toxins in the air and the water and the products that we use are also something that we really need to be conscious about. These chemicals, our body doesn't know what to do with. So again, like we are talking about the viral issues earlier in the podcast, the chemicals are laying in our tissues and our fat tissues and our cells and our organs and hanging out there. And they are of course, definitely not healthy for our body. And we don't want those, those things laying dormant in our body for too long, because I think they can cause all kinds of health issues down the road. So I think that we really do need to start to be conscious of more conscious of, you know, the water we drink, the air we breathe, and just the products that we're bringing into our homes and what we use on our skin and all of that. What do you wish more people knew about healing? I wish people knew that they can heal anything other than maybe a limb being removed from their body. I mean, but all these health issues out there, most people can heal from them if they have the knowledge and they have the ability to believe they can heal, they'll heal. What do you wish more people knew about aging? Aging doesn't have to be about having health issues and taking medications and just really being tied to the fact that we've all been told when we age, we're not going to feel as great. We're not going to have as much energy. We're not going to look as good. That's not the case. Aging, you can age gracefully and age and add, like I talked about, add years to your life and be able to do all the things you did when you were young. I totally 100% believe that. And my last question, since the name of this podcast is Practical Non-Toxic Living, what are your top three practical non-toxic tips? I would say my non-toxic tips are, I would definitely, I buy organic. I'm very strict about produce and everything in terms of what I bring into the house is organic. Also with my animal protein, it all is antibiotic, hormone-free. I'm very strict about that. I'm really like the clean, our cleaning supplies are all also non-toxic as well. I have tons more, but we have a filter on our house for water. And I'm very conscious of also the tox, the EMFs as well. We have a lot of crystals in our house to shell guide cubes to block off the EMFs that are actually around us because we're, of course, in city living. Thank you for sharing yourself with us. You are a gem. I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> Thank you for all your beautiful questions. Oh, really, they were phenomenal. So yes, it was really fun. I loved meeting you, Sophia. Thanks for tuning in. What follows is more of my conversation with Alyssa about her cleanses and other offerings. And then we talk about how we try to raise our daughters to have a healthy relationship with eating. 
So as we start to wrap up, would you please explain the offerings you've created? Yes, I think my years of creating those cleanses for the restaurants in LA propelled me with a, my wonderful assistant who was with me for six years. She was a fabulous cook. So together we created this soup cleanse because people were asking us, will you cook for us? And we, we weren't going to go into the homes and do the chef work. So yeah, we created this soup, salad, tonics, lattes, fermented vegetables. We have a bone broth and a super seed bar. It's a lot of food that we give clients and it's five days and we deliver it twice. So it's really fresh. It's very nourishing. It's 50 plus different types of vegetables for the week. We make sure they have enough plant-based protein throughout the day. But so I do that in LA. It sells out pretty much every time we do it, three weeks out of the month. So I couldn't get it in New York. No, which is such a bummer. And I don't, you know, it's all in glass and I don't know how to expand it. Five days, you can totally reset your body. So then the bars started to get popular, these super seed bars. They're all homemade. They're just frozen. So we're, we started just last fall shipping them across the country. And we ship about 2,000 a month, 1,000 every other week. So we do that. And then I just launched yesterday a new seven-day reset. It's a PDF on the website. And we had an old one on for the last two years. It was because people were asking me, how do I kind of replicate your soup cleanse outside of LA or even, yeah, outside of LA, California, or even out of state? And so I put together this program with easy salad smoothies, juices, soups, all different kinds of soups, snacks, and then lots and lots of nutritional information about what they need to know. Just everything we talked about today, hydration and cleansing on a daily basis, cleansing the lymphatic system, self-love, de-stressing, even some supplements that are really high on my list for people that are really high quality. There's all of that in this seven day and it launched yesterday, the new one. So I did that and I am slowly working on that second book. The first one was so much work that the second one has taken a lot of energy for me. And I think the second one, it was going to be autoimmune hacks. I do have a PDF on my site that is free. That is autoimmune hacks. And it's everything I did to heal from my Hashimoto's and celiac and all of that. So that's still, that's still available and up there, but I think the book is probably going to be more about just like we talked about turning back the clock that you really can add years to your life and not feel sick and not go into your older years, taking lots of medications and just surviving. I don't want that for people. Do you have an idea of when that might be? That, I'm sure that's going to be probably the beginning of next year. I'm wondering with two daughters, if you have advice on how to teach children to be healthy while not being too strict, because of course, when they go to college, yeah. they'll probably like just do everything <laughs> they couldn't do while they're living at home. But have you been pretty relaxed about it because you just want them to be balanced or do you just have lots of conversations? Yeah, that is a whole other podcast because... My mom was very regimented about what I ate, what I did, even though interestingly, she was doing the opposite. Like she was this sugaraholic. She used to hide candy bars and cookies. <laughs> it's so funny because she hid them and she knew where she, they were. I don't know. I didn't quite understand that, but she restricted sugar and soda and all those great Fritos and chips from us. But 
when I would go outside the house as a teenager, I couldn't get enough. I mean, that just even made my situation worse in terms of the health. So I did tend to do that with my girls because that's what I knew and it totally backfired on me. So when they were younger, I did try to limit sugar and gluten and dairy and tried to feed them really healthy, but they went outside the house with their friends and they just went crazy and they just fought me on it so much. It was like just a bone of contention. It was awful. And then I'd also say to them, there's something circulating right now on, on social media about a dad saying to his daughter, are you going to eat that? are you going to eat that? Are you still eating? You know, are you going to have ice cream? That was me. And I'm so embarrassed to say, I mean, I, at times in their period of growing up, I gave them a bit of a little bit of an eating disorder, not full blown, but just, I think we all women do tend to have a bit of an eating disorder. And yeah, I was not good until just probably three years ago. And when I really saw myself and they really confronted me on it, and I realized, wow, what a disservice I was doing to them. And now I'm, I'm more relaxed. I'm not perfect by a long shot, but they, they always call me out on it. Now they'll just be like, they just won't listen. And they'll, and, and I'll be like, I'll have to say, I'm sorry, because I am doing it. I need to keep my mouth shut. So I think that now we always have baked goods in our house even though they are sometimes gluten-free and low sugar, but for them to have something sweet and that's healthy and home-baked. And I try to have just normal food around like that they can eat. Well, I only have one home actually now. So, but it's a hard thing. It's, that is challenging. I realize that if you sit down for dinner, which you guys probably do and have a healthy dinner, that's a home run. If breakfast and lunch aren't so healthy and dinner is, then they're going to learn it. We know how we feel after we eat good food and food that agrees with us. So eventually they're going to get what works for them and what doesn't. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's really helpful for me. <laughs> Are you pretty relaxed about it? Are you? So my parents were also strict. My mm -hmm mom would not have any sugar in the home. And whenever other parents would offer it to me, she'd interject and say, oh no, my children don't like sugar. Yeah. <laughs> and so when yeah. I got to college, I went crazy. I ate everything my freshman year that I could not have in my lifetime up until <laughs> that moment. And so I wanted to learn from my experiences and I tried really hard to not be strict. And I think I'm not, except I have strong opinions on what we buy for the home and what's stocked. And I'm also, yeah. I don't want to be controlling over my husband either. So right. it ends up balancing out. And I just wanted, my goal was to give them a relatively clean baseline experience. So they knew the energy they felt when they ate really healthy so that when they went to college and wanted to do what eat and drink, whatever they right. would think, Oh, I really miss how I used to feel. So that's been my, that's goal. perfect. <laughs> yeah. That's been my goal and to have lots of conversations so that they think about what they put into their body as, an opportunity to serve them. It will either serve them or hurt them. We're really resilient. So it's not like you need to be paranoid about the bad stuff. Absolutely. But hopefully there's more good than bad is what I say. 
that sounds pretty good to me. So kudos to you. Well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Thanks for listening. Podcast show notes can be found at my website at nontoxicliving.tips. To more easily listen to other episodes, please subscribe to the Practical Non-Toxic Living Podcast. And if you'd like to support it, then please like it and share it. Until next time.